0: welcome to today's edition of the baseball america college podcast i'm teddy cahill joining me as always is joe healy and we are here to talk about a very busy week of action around the country in college baseball it was week eight there was a top three showdown between arkansas and Ole miss That the hogs won they remain number one in the top 25 for the seventh straight week vanderbilt lost its first series of the season getting knocked off by Georgia. There were big series in the Big 12, Texas Tech top in TCU, uh Pac 12, Big 10, ACC. There's a lot to get to. We're going to we're going to do that here uh during this podcast. We'll get to that here in a second, but first I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College Podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data coaches use Repsoto data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Repsoto National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the RapSoto National Player Database at RapSoto.com All national database. All right, Joe, in, as we stand here on, uh, what is this, April 12th, we're effectively just past the midpoint of the college baseball regular season for some teams that's a little more true than others you know everyone's played a, a different number of games to this point but we're 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 pretty well into uh into this whole thing and there was a lot of action like i mentioned around the country several top 25 series even a top 3 series so uh so we got a lot to to get to here uh first though i want to start with With uh, the biggest win of the weekend, and that was St. Peter's shutting out Niagara five to nothing on Saturday. In I guess it's the first game of a doubleheader, and the Peacocks won their season opener for the first time since 2016. And this is particularly noteworthy, not just because St. Peter's is, uh, you know, historically not very good at college baseball, uh, and this was the first time they'd won a season opener since 2016, but it, uh, it also means that I believe now Marist and whatever Ivy league schools end up playing this season, but Marist is now the last team that intends to play this season that has not taken the field.
1: Yeah. It's funny. You, you say that because I actually was going to, had you not, I was actually going to mention, tell, you know, tell uh, that's Marist that we're at the halfway point of the season. Now. Um, <laughs> but I tell that yeah.
0: to say Peters for that matter.
1: Yeah. I you talked about Marist a little bit on a previous episode in the, it's disappointing because that's actually, I think a good team in the Metro Atlantic and we'll have to see what, that they're hopeful to get on the field soon. Um, I think April 12th is the date, which is today as we record is the day when that their, their campus wide, uh, pause was extended through. And I've not heard of an extension to that. So I think there's some hope that, that this is the week where maybe things will things will change a little bit, but good for St. Peter's back on, back on topic. Good for St. Peter's. That's uh, obviously a a cool thing to see, obviously just on a big picture level, you're happy for those kids and those coaches to get back on the field. And the fact that it was St. Peter's makes it all the, all the better. College baseball doesn't really have the internet joke culture that college football and to a lesser degree college basketball and pro sports have, but St. Peter's is probably as close as college baseball has to kind of like a, um, like a meme type thing on the college baseball internet. And it's just because it's not even done out of a mean spirited thing, but you're right that St. Peter's has just historically struggled. They've had winless seasons and, you know, routinely struggled to win more than a handful of games in an entire season. And they've had several head coaches cycle through there in recent years. And it's just, it's a really, really tough job. It's a, they haven't done a lot of winning. So it's, it's not even mean spirit. It's just the reality of the situation that, they're, they're in a place now where the, the entire college baseball community, I think, kind of roots for them in a certain way to just get to up to a certain level of competence because we realize that that certain level of competence is something to be celebrated in a place that has not had a lot of that in recent years.
0: It looks like Marist is hoping to play this Wednesday, so that would mean that everyone intending to play again, except for whatever happens in the Ivy League, uh, is, is going to be on the field. So that would be great. Congrats to St. Peter's on the season opening win, hashtag strut up. All right, Joe, let's get to some SEC talk. Uh, it was a busy weekend in the nation's top conference. Uh, and, you know, we can start with uh, really any number of these. So, like, let's just uh, – I'll give the quick headlines, and then we can, we can take it from there. So, Arkansas goes to Oxford – Beats Ole Miss in a series between top three teams. Uh, Arkansas won the first game of a doubleheader on Saturday. Ole Miss comes back, gets the second game. And then in the finale, Arkansas got up 11-0 in the first three innings. Ole Miss came all the way back to tie that game at 14. And then the Hogs score the final four runs of the game over the last two innings, to come away with yet another series win. They have won their first four SEC weekends. They have yet to have a losing weekend on the year. They are 10-2 and against teams currently in the top 25. All 12 of those games have been away from Baumwalker Stadium. I've said it a lot about just how good this Arkansas team is and has been this season. This weekend was more of the same. Slightly in a different way. Obviously, pitching was uh, not as emphasized this weekend. It was much more offensive at Swayze, uh, but in any event, Arkansas just keeps finding a way to win. Georgia, as I mentioned, up top, they go to Nashville and they win a series. It's the first time Vanderbilt has lost a series this season, and this is probably a huge upset for a couple of reasons. Number one the way Georgia did it, they scored a lot of runs against Vanderbilt. They become the first team to beat Kamar Rocker in more than a year. And even though he struck out 12 and I think it was five innings, maybe it was six. uh, He also got, uh, you know, the, the Bulldogs hit a few home runs against him and they just scored a lot of runs in the series, which is not how I thought anyone was going to beat Vanderbilt particularly. Uh, Certainly not Georgia, which is a little more pitching dependent, but that's how it went down at the Hawks. So that one was significant as well. And then Tennessee in another top 10 matchup uh, beats Florida in Knoxville. Florida's struggles on the road continue. They just haven't been very good on the road in SEC play over the last few years. And Tennessee now leads the nation in wins with uh, with 27 and they move up into the top five for the first time in 15 plus years so impressive weekend for the Vols on w- just another impressive weekend and what has been a very impressive season and then if all of that hadn't happened like I actually think there was a low-key pretty interesting series between LSU and Kentucky with a fair amount of NCAA tournament implications. We're probably not going to get to that here, but LSU got a needed series win in Lexington, and you know Kentucky has the better SEC record here, but you know better than than several of these teams still within the SEC uh, at, at six and six. There there's some underwater SEC teams still that are probably better than Kentucky, but. I don't really know what to make of the Wildcats. Still, uh, four weekends into SEC play, they've got a series win against Mizzou. They swept Auburn, but they also now have lost back-to-back series uh, against Mississippi State and LSU, going just one and five in those games. So, uh, a little bit confused still about what the Wildcats are and tr- where they truly fit in the postseason picture, but. LSU with a, a much-needed series win on the road. All right, Joe. Where uh, what stood out to you from that group? I mean, I, I guess we should probably either start with Arkansas or with Vanderbilt.
1: Yeah, I. I, I we'll start with the Arkansas and Old Miss series. I will say though, I, even though you said that we won't talk much about it, like the Kentucky thing is interesting to me, just because I will say quickly. They are going to be an interesting test case for that kind of theory of being a postseason team, where if you just really take care of the teams you're supposed to beat and soundly take care of them and just avoid disaster the rest of the way, like, is that going to be enough? And and maybe they're a little bit better than that, but I, I just have to wonder if they played three really close games in Starkville two weekends ago. And I have to wonder if not getting one of those games ends up being something that comes back to bite them in the end, just because seven and looking at seven and five now versus six and six after that weekend would be, obviously goes out saying a lot better place. So it is a fascinating team, especially when you consider that John Rhodes, their preseason All-American has, has been good, but not excellent this year uh, offensively. And he was supposed to kind of be the guy that makes that go. So maybe there is some positive upward Uh, trajectory for that team if if he's able to to get it going in a big way so setting that aside um you know i think it's great a great thing for arkansas that we we just kind of continue to see their ability to win heavyweight fights like that's i think the way i would classify this this weekend was just a heavyweight fight and that's a cliche but i think it's true and that winning games when you're winning games when things don't go as planned i i think is such an important skill in college baseball because there are there are a hundred teams that could, could get to Omaha if you guaranteed them that their games would go according to their script. There, you know, there are a lot of teams that are talented enough to make that happen, but the difference is, can you pivot? Can you figure out ways to win games that maybe you, you wouldn't have won in a different scenario or where you have to do something you're not used to doing or don't want to do? And, and, and part of that's the versatility in their bullpen, and we've talked about that, that quite a bit their ability to kind of say, okay, you know what? This isn't working, let's do something else. And just cycling through guys until they find somebody. That is certainly a big feather in their cap, but it's also the resiliency of their offense. And we saw it in that sun, that wild Sunday game, which was, you know, in part, in part, I think we saw a product of the teams having to play a doubleheader on Saturday. So, you know, the, the, the pitching staffs were maybe a little more taxed than they normally would have been in a typical three game series. But I also think it's the quality of, of the offense in, in some cases. And also, I think it's, you know, I think we saw that, um, you know, with, with both of these pitching staffs, there is a little bit of volatility sometimes. And, and and we saw that, I think, on Sunday a little bit. But that's a game where it would have been really easy for Arkansas, especially when, when things get tied 14-14 and you're on the road. And I, I have to assume, I was actually at that moment a little more focused on Florida State, Louisville. And so I didn't really see a lot of this game as it was getting to the business end. But I have to assume at 14-14, Swayze is, is rocking. And I know they had huge crowds there this weekend. So that's not a fun atmosphere to have to deal with. And I don't think anybody expected Ole Miss to be back in that game. Suddenly they are. And rather than let that kind of wash over them, you know, Kevin Copps comes in, throws his lap, the last couple innings, throws them clean. Arkansas scores four more runs. They end up pulling a win out. Um And that's a win I think a lot of other teams that aren't prepared to win in quite the same way Arkansas is just kind of folds up like a tent in that, in that moment, Arkansas didn't do that. And I think as much as anything else, that's what I come out impressed with this weekend with, with Arkansas is their ability to to do things like that, because those are the types of things you need to do to win these series.
0: I continue to be impressed by the way Arkansas plays away from home. Uh, Like I mentioned now, 10 and two on the road. And those are against team all against teams that we have ranked in the top 16 of the current edition of the top 25. So no, no easy road weekends for the Hawks to this point. And and this certainly wasn't that Swayze was, uh, they had 11,000 people in there for both games on Saturday. I didn't see a final attendance on Sunday, but it looked pretty full. So, uh, you know, definitely a real road environment, which there haven't been a ton of to this point in college baseball. But if you go into the Magnolia state right now, you're going to find some. And, you know, Arkansas just, keeps finding ways to win they can win tight games they can win blowouts they, they they win with pitching they win with hitting you know it's uh it's a really complete team and, and that's why I like them so much is that they don't have to follow a script they can follow your script and still beat you and and that's that's just the the kind of team they are right now and I know like I've seen people this after this weekend kind of say like oh well how good is Arkansas's bullpen really like gave up all those runs to Ole Miss well first of all Ole Miss has a really good offense and then second of all I don't know who has a good bullpen in college baseball right now frankly um you know you look around there are an awful lot of runs getting scored against those bullpens and uh you know I, I thought Mississippi State's bullpen was was really dominant and then Arkansas scored all those runs against it and You know, you've seen Vanderbilt's bullpen give up a ton of runs. Florida's bullpen hasn't hasn't looked the way it is. I should say instead of college baseball, I I should say in the SEC. I can think of some teams outside of that that have good bullpens, like East Carolina. We highlighted them a week ago. Uh, You know, and Oregon looked pretty good this weekend against Oregon State. Well, I'm not quite sure how good Oregon State's offense is, but anyway, uh, within the SEC, there aren't that many lockdown bullpens to be found. And, you know, it wasn't a great weekend for Arkansas's bullpen, but it also really just wasn't a good weekend for Arkansas starting pitching and that taxed the bullpen more. And that I, what you saw is what you saw. They'll want to get that corrected going forward. Swayze generally plays a little more offensive anyway, I think. And it got to where it got. But uh, I think the big takeaway here is that Arkansas just finds a way to win home, road good team, bad team, no matter what they're, they're winning games right now. And it's, uh it's very impressive to watch.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the, the thing you you brought up a good point where we've talked before about how Arkansas doesn't need to get the, the six innings from three different guys on the weekends to really set them up for success. That being said, I think they would like that once on the weekend, you know, Um be or able even to...
0: just like five, like a couple <laughs> right. times, like Lyle Lockhart didn't get out of the third. Um, They swore. They flipped Paulette and Vermilion again and, and uh, or for the first time as the season. But anyway, Paulette was back in the rotation and it didn't go as well as he he had been going in the in the bullpen. And um, you know, they didn't get an amazing start to to get the weekend uh you know started from Wicklander. It just no, no, none of them were were had standout performances this weekend. speaking of uh not having standout performances this weekend i guess we can flip here to vanderbilt joe and uh the doors they uh they didn't look like what we would have thought they would have looked like this weekend uh what they had looked like all weekend lo- all year long to this point and that's uh that's been a very very good team you know every weekend to to this point you know maybe uh, in Sundays, they they'd been gettable at times. And so the fact that Georgia won on Sunday, maybe wasn't stunning, but the way in which Georgia won, uh, in, in their third game, which was a Saturday, this was a Thursday to Saturday game. That was a little more surprising, but really, Joe, the, the thing that stood out here was that Georgia beats Kamal rocker uh, and not just beats him in a one nothing game. It wasn't like, it wasn't that kind of, of deal where Georgia just They, their starter rose to the occasion and and they happened to get a run, maybe by an error, maybe on a solo home run or something. No, they like, they actually hit Rocker around a little bit here. And, you know, internally at Baseball America, we've been talking about how Rocker's velocity has been down for a little bit. It hadn't really come to roost, but, uh, you know, this, in this game on Thursday night, Georgia, you know, made Rocker pay for. The mistakes that that he made and, and they just they they hit a few home runs and their offense was rolling and, and uh, Vanderbilt didn't have an answer
1: yeah, it's with the, those Thursday to Saturday series sometimes can really kind of sneak by you a little bit and and I think this was one of those where I you know I, I knew I was aware of what was going on there because you know Georgia even in the Friday game was was right there with Vanderbilt and could have easily won that game so it was it was very aware of what was happening but just didn't get to to see a whole ton of it and so um but yeah I mean on rocker like yes that velocity being down a little bit is is perhaps a little bit concerning in the big picture but to your point this was really the first time when he'd been ineffective and so you know moving forward you'll just kind of look to see like okay maybe his velo is down but as long as he's effective from a team standpoint anyway uh they're gonna yeah
0: he did strike out 12. it was a strange line from it really
1: it really was yeah yeah (laughs) still managing 12 strikeouts is, is not nothing so I'll just be interested to see as long as he's effective, like, cause there is a scenario where this is just where he's working right now. And, you know, velocity kind of tends to go up and down a little bit throughout seasons. And there's a lot of variables at play here. And so I, I will, I will not necessarily be one of the people who is alarmist about that one specific data point. We'll have to see a little bit more moving forward, but I was as surprised as you were about the way Georgia won this game. I mean, it's still an offense that, you know, even coming out of the weekend where you would think you'd look at the stat lines and see where it, it you know, See the, the, the big numbers popping off the page, of you and it's not really that, you know. So it's it's an offense that I still don't know really what to make of. And there's individual players here I like, and there's some familiar names who have been around a while. And but certainly, uh, it's 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 not an offense that you would imagine being able to do that, even in a Sunday against Vanderbilt, where some, Vanderbilt had a few more questions. But man, they're they're just so talented on the mound. I think in the big picture, it's this is the type of series win that Georgia needs to kind of put, start to put itself in a position to get into the postseason. It's, it's kind of building. That's a big resume building win there. And I think they do have some forward momentum when you talk about, you know, uh, Jonathan Cannon coming back and having, you know, really started to round into form now. And they're, they're starting to look like a more fully formed version of what Georgia hoped and expected to be this season, which is, you know, uh, rebuilding a pitching staff around some guys who are relatively unproven, but we like those pieces trying to piece together an offense around that. And then, and maybe winning. Now, I don't think they imagine winning games in this way that the way they did it last weekend, but I think maybe um, winning a series like this would have been something they thought maybe was in their the realm of possibility, just not in, in the way they, in the way they did it so it's an interesting team to watch moving forward um in part because i'll be honest in part because i don't know that much about them i know some names here but i haven't watched a ton of them this year because frankly you know they just hadn't been all that relevant to this point of the season and so i'm uh, certainly going to have more of an eye on georgia moving forward just because uh now they're they're at a point where we need to start looking at them as a team that is putting together like i said that that type of postseason resume
0: they outscored Vanderbilt twenty-five to eight this weekend. I definitely did not see something like that coming. Like I said, it, it, I figured Vanderbilt was going to lose a series at some point this week this year because they, you know, it, it it just seemed like they were entirely too dependent on Rocker and Lighter being outstanding, and there was going to be a night where one of them they're probably going to be more than one night like lighter is going to have something like this happen at some point probably and you know then they just have been so unreliable in third games this this season unreliable maybe be overstated, but you know you, you saw Oklahoma State you saw South Carolina get them in uh in game three situations and that you know, they've taken care of the teams that they should be taking care of for the most part until this Georgia thing, they've been taking care of game threes. I it just hasn't looked as as outstanding. Uh, they, they just have seemed kind of gettable, and you saw a couple teams do it. And then the last two weeks, you thought, well, you know, okay, maybe maybe they've cleaned this up, but you know, it's Missouri and then it's LSU, and LSU is clearly fighting it right now, so maybe maybe this isn't cleaned up. Maybe they still have questions in this third game, uh, of series. But, but again, I, I thought that it was going to happen that, you know, Vanderbilt lost one of those first two games 42 or two to one or something. And then, you know, whatever happened on Sunday happened, but 25 runs in a weekend, uh, is a lot. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, we, we talked about how and we, we've talked a lot this season about how various teams are not doing things super traditionally and how they're managing their they're starting pitching and whatever. Well, I mean, Georgia effectively threw a bullpen game on Thursday. They kept Webb and Cannon uh, on Friday and Saturday. I think they may have even moved Cannon up a day to get him to Saturday, uh, but they they kept them where they were at and they, uh, you know, they they just threw a whole bunch of pitchers at Vanderbilt on Thursday night and it worked. And, Uh, I, you know, it's uh, again, I think this is probably just more of a blip than anything for Vanderbilt. We've seen them be really, really good against really good teams like Oklahoma State and South Carolina, uh, but they now have a massive series against Tennessee, and it probably, you know, it's not like they needed anything more to, to be on the line this weekend, but the fact that Tennessee is playing the way that they're playing and they now have to go into Knoxville and they're coming off of a serious loss here, uh, I, I think that, that just places maybe a little bit more emphasis on the series, especially when you consider that this opens a really challenging stretch for Vanderbilt. Everyone in the SEC plays one of these at some point this year, and, and Vanderbilt's getting into theirs. And it's at Tennessee, home to Mississippi State, at Florida, uh, and if you want to extend it, home to Bama at Ole Miss. So you know this next month is is huge for Vanderbilt, and you just would like to feel better about it about where you were as a team, I think, going into that than uh, they probably are right now. Joe, let's uh, let's flip over to the, those falls. Um, we talked a fair about a fair bit about this series. On the preview podcast, how Tennessee had just kind of been rolling along, been a little quiet about it, and frankly, I feel like they're still being a little quiet about it. They lead the country in wins. Uh, they managed to to win a top ten series this weekend against Florida uh, in uh, you know pretty solid fashion. They, they were interesting, exciting, close games, and yet they are the third storyline here in the SEC just because there was this top three series. And then Vanderbilt got upset. So, you know, still I feel like the Vols might be getting a little bit lost in the shuffle despite the fact that they are a top five team and that I moved them into my Omaha field this weekend and and off the bat.
1: Yeah. I think part of that is they continue to kind of play close games. And I guess that can be exciting and that can make the games a little more tense. So maybe that's, maybe you could make the counter argument based on that fact, but it, it, I think that's also, part of why it's quiet is that they're not out here blowing teams out oftentimes. And so maybe that's, maybe that's a part of it. You know, maybe some of it is just a little
0: bit of dearth of star power on this team too.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. You know, they've got some, they've got some, some prospects on this team, but it's a combination of they're not the flashiest prospects. You know, a guy like Jake Rucker is not, is not somebody who's moving the needle for the average college baseball or even just sec baseball, even someone who's just following that conference. Like unless you're a Tennessee fan, like Jake Rucker is not a name that's going to move the the needle for you. And, and Max Ferguson is just not having a, a very good year at the plate. So those things combined, I think is, is part of it for sure. It's also, I think some circumstantial stuff, you know, where, you know, Florida has, you know, if they, if, if they had won this series against Florida and Florida was the version of Florida that we thought they were going to be, now we're singing it a little bit of a different tune, but you know, Florida being a little bit of a depressed commodity now versus what we thought they were going to be takes a little bit, of the shine off of it. And now, of course, I'm not saying they should feel anything less about it, but now they're taking on a Vanderbilt team coming off of a series loss. And so, but it still is going to be a a big series there. And I thought if, if Vanderbilt, to your previous point, uh, Vanderbilt was probably going to take a series loss because that's, you know, that's life in the SEC. And I actually thought this Tennessee series was the most likely candidate among, uh, the most immediate candidate anyway, because Tennessee just has to kind of does seem to have a knack for pulling these you know close games out and and playing close games and then and then winning them and I think the bullpen is a is a big part of it and they're not I don't think we focused as much on on their bullpen as we have Arkansas's bullpen and maybe that's the difference in the number one team in the country versus Tennessee being a team that has just now last couple of weeks cracked the top ten but that's the way they're building their games too. Uh, they're, they're really kind of thinking at back, you know, from the back to the front in terms of setting up their pitching and and they can still get, you know, Chad Dallas will still give them a really good start. Like he did on, on Friday, where he gives them seven good innings and blade Tidwell is certainly capable of giving them that type of start, but they're not afraid to turn things over to the bullpen early and, and win games like that. And so that's a real asset in these one run, two run games, because they, they feel confident in the guys they have at the back to to close things down. So, Um, that is a very very big series this weekend for Tennessee because, you know, here we are with a Tennessee team that is climbing up the rankings and, and has done everything that we could have possibly asked them to do at this point. And it it feels like we still kind of continually ask them to prove it to us again. And it's kind of another situation this weekend where they're they're going to play Vanderbilt. And it's like, well, you know, the offense has been a little inconsistent, you know, you like Liam Spence and and Rucker's a guy who's had a good year, but there are also some guys who we've mentioned before a few times are, are struggling a little bit. And, What does that offense do against, you know, Rocker? Are they able to do against Rocker what Georgia did against Rocker? Are they the first team that can kind of break through against Jack Leiter? Can they take advantage of of Vanderbilt being a little bit shakier on Sunday? And Here we are in a position, again, where we're asking Tennessee to to prove things to us, but I I can't shake the feeling that that's kind of what we're we're going to be doing again is is asking them to to do that again, especially when you consider that on that side of the ball, you know, Florida – had a little trouble at times this weekend where, you know, they go back to a traditional Tommy may start on Friday and, and he was not particularly good. And they had one really bad inning in in the, the game two loss where, you know, Tennessee puts five runs on the board in the sixth because they, they had to cycle through three different pitchers in the inning to get out of it. And um, I'm not saying that again, Tennessee should not apologize for anything here. Um, but Vanderbilt I think is just going to be a little bit of a, a different animal in that way. And I'll be interested to see what, what they're able to do with that.
0: Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, I, I don't think this is a trap you're going to fall into, but I do think you're going to hear and see a, a fair amount of like, well, if Tennessee loses this weekend to Vanderbilt, like, Oh, well, they weren't that good anyway. Like who cares what they have done? Like clearly Vanderbilt was the better team. Like why, why did we even get bother getting excited about Tennessee and, Some of that is just because for the last 15 years, this hasn't happened for Tennessee. And, And I get that. And that's why they're being asked to continually prove things. But I think we also just have to acknowledge that they're halfway through the season. They have not had a bad weekend. The worst weekend you can point to is going two and two against an Indiana State team that has proven itself to be a very good team, uh, to be a regionable regional caliber team. They're ranked in the top 25. It's a good Indiana State team. That's the worst thing Tennessee has done this weekend is split a four game series against them. They lead the nation in wins. They have, they just find ways to win. They have a very good pitching staff. This is who they are. They may not have the biggest star in the country. They may not you know, be blowing teams out, but they are finding ways to win. Tony Vitello, at least to this point, has pulled all the right levers. Frank Anderson has done a great job with the pitching staff. I, this is who they are. And even if they don't, you know, follow through with the series win against Vanderbilt this weekend, which would be Tennessee's first in the series since 2016. Uh, You know, that should not take away what the Vols have accomplished and what kind of team they can be moving forward.
1: I think there's a chance now looking ahead with, with Tennessee, especially if they win that series against Vanderbilt, which will just be fascinating to see if that plays out because the three weekends after that, they're looking at, you know Texas A and M on the road, Kentucky at home, and Missouri on the road. Uh, now, obviously, it finishes tougher than that, but those are three very, very winnable series. I mean, those are those are three series where Tennessee goes in thinking, you know, we're obviously a bare, bare, bare minimum going six and three, and we'd really like to go seven and two. Um, so it did not or you know, better or better, right? So if, if Tennessee gets through a series with Vanderbilt, like we we very well could be staring in the face of, you know, when they play Arkansas in in knoxville in mid-may that that's you know the, the biggest series in the sec which i don't think you know maybe on the arkansas side of that we, we would have thought that i think we thought that'd be a nice series but I, it could have a lot of weight behind it by the time we get to
0: that point that would be a lot of fun uh if we get there a lot of baseball to go before then but that would be a lot of fun uh yeah, the those last two weekends, Arkansas and South Carolina, going to be a lot of fun. No matter what's on the line there, I, I just think those are those are going to be good series to be played there by the Vols. And it's been a long time since uh, you could say that we were very excited about Tennessee late May series in in the SEC. So uh, a welcome development for Vols fans, I am sure. All right, there's a lot of uh, excitement around the country, not just in the SEC, and we're going to get to that. Uh, in a minute here but first check this out all right joe let's swing over to the big 12 where texas tech was playing tcu in a pretty significant series not only in the big 12 race but in the in the hosting race and, and beyond and we talked about this on the preview podcast how texas tech had not lost a home series since 2018 but TCU came in very hot. They were on a 10 game winning streak and they extended that to 11 with a win in the first game on Friday. Then they got off to an early lead on Saturday. They got up four to one in the top of the fourth inning. And after that, the Red Raiders turned it on and they did not trail the rest of the series. They, they took the lead uh, in the in the bottom half of that inning, they didn't trail the rest of the way. They boat raced TCU on Sunday, 17 to seven, in seven innings. Thank you, Big 12 uh, run rule on uh, getaway day, and it was uh, it was just another series win for Texas Tech in Lubbock, and a reminder that Texas Tech is a different animal in Lubbock than away from from Texas Tech. They were coming, of course, off of a a series loss at Kansas State, but it also was a little bit more than that. Like, that's kind of the easy, lazy way for me to analyze it. But they were missing, Texas Tech was this weekend, Drew Baker and Dylan Noisy. Noisy actually played very late on Sunday as a defensive replacement mostly. They got one at-bat out of those two guys who were two of their better uh, hitters in the lineup. Baker has been their, you know their their leading hitter. JC on is their best hitter. but if you look at batting average drew Baker's the leading hitter there uh and, and he and noisy both have stolen 11 bases just a they, they bring a, a different dynamic to the lineup when they're in there. And then Brandon Birdsell, who had kind of settled in as Texas Tech's Friday starter left his start. he got pushed back to Sunday and then left the start early. I guess with some shoulder discomfort and that's the second week in a row that he has had to leave a start early due to that. Um, so they, they were missing some of their better pieces or just didn't get much out of their better pieces this weekend. And it, it just didn't matter. They, uh they, they really piled it on TCU there late in in the series.
1: Yeah. I think we actually kind of called this on the preview podcast where I think we said that, you know, the, the front half of this series could look, a lot different than the back half of this series because I think we liked Texas Tech's depth all around better than we liked TCU's. And that's kind of exactly how it ends up playing out. And I actually in the moment wasn't super aware of some of the guys that Texas Tech was missing. And so that's even more impressive that they were able to do what they, they did, given that they were missing some, some key pieces there. You know, if you're TCU just quickly on them, if, if you're TCU, I think you, you feel okay about this because you know, you would have liked to have pulled out, especially that game two, game three just got away from you. Like that happens, but that game two, they had a chance to win that, they, you know, they, they, um, you know, fight their way into, into extra innings and, and then lose it. But, you know, you played a team about as close as anybody ever plays Texas Tech and Lubbock and came away just short. And I think it's a team that maybe saw some things they liked in the bullpen. We talked about them needing to maybe find another couple of bullpen arms. They trust in the big 12. You know, to, to be used on the weekends in Big Twelve play, and I think they they did some of that. So I think it's a team if they find one or two more guys as far as depth goes. I think they're in a pretty decent place. So you know, if you're TCO, I think you come out of this feeling okay. You maybe would have liked to have not given up seventeen runs on Sunday and maybe limited that a little bit. So that that's that's obviously something they'll want to they'll want to clean up. But for Texas Tech, I think it was um, it, you know exactly what they do to teams in Lubbock where they, they'll, they'll wait you out a little bit, but their offense can just strike so quickly. And, and that game too, I think is a, is a great example. You know, TCU, like you mentioned, goes up 4 one. Well, Texas tech answers right back and, and gets for their own. And then all it takes is one swing in the 10th inning. Um, you know, these extra inning games, they're so dangerous in, in those types of situations because they have so many guys that can win it on one swing in the bat. I, I go back to that the UConn series early, early in the season where, tech was down two runs and then got back to back to back home runs to walk off for the win. Uh, that that's just the type of quick strike offense that they have and JC Young is just on a different level right now. He hits three home runs in that Sunday game. Um you know, he's really pretty quickly turned himself into um, you know, probably at this point a favorite for Big 12 player of the year. Uh, he's one of the better hitters in college baseball and it feels like he's going a little He's bit currently the leading the radar. country
0: in home runs. Yeah, I mean, tied with Wes Clark. Nobody has more home runs in college baseball than Chase Young.
1: Yeah, it feels and it feels a little bit like he's a little bit under the radar in terms of, of players. And that's kind of hard to believe on two levels. One is because he's so good. He plays at Texas Tech, but also because he's Josh Young's brother. So you think that actually would have brought him a little more notoriety. But maybe I'm I, I'm building a straw man there. But it, it does feel a little bit like the, the greater college baseball public is not quite aware of just how good Chase Young is right now.
0: I think that's correct, but I think that you're forgetting the pandemic effect, that we didn't get much of an opportunity to get hip to J.C. on a year ago. And then Texas Tech has been, they haven't really, they've played some showcase series, but they just, you know, it takes a little while to to catch up to these things. And, and J.C. on has been spectacular, but, um, you know, I, I, as things go along here and, and he keeps climbing the home run leaderboard, he's now hit three home runs uh, in a game twice in the last six games <laughs> He keeps doing things like that. People are definitely going to, going to understand how good he is, but I, I think these things just kind of take time to, to build and he didn't have the opportunity to show that uh, a season ago, even if he, if he would have, if he would have, I don't know. I mean, being a true freshman is hard, but uh, he's, uh, he's certainly doing it now and I don't think it's going to be too much longer before people uh, catch up to that fact. And, and I think people are, uh, catching up now. One crazy note here about Texas Tech before we uh broaden this into a uh, a, a bigger Big 12 discussion. Texas Tech, in you know, they, they've played, you know, however many games they've played this season. They, we're, we're halfway through the year. They've played 28 games. Two of them have gone to extra innings. Texas Tech is four for four with four home runs in extra innings. That is all they have done. Is hit home runs in extra innings. It's like it just makes them mad. Like it just make them angry. Like just lose in regulation, you know? Like don't take them to extra
1: innings. That'll just make them angry.
0: I mean it's like obviously coincidental, obviously unsustainable, all the rest of that. But right now, that is a truly insane thing that has happened. Um, and uh yeah, I <laughs> it, it was uh it was Cal Conley, uh this week getting it done for them he actually uh had hit homeward against uh UConn in, in that extra inning game as well so definitely don't face Cal Conley in extra innings that yeah. is that is not what you want to do yeah if
1: you're if you got to face Cal Conley in extra innings like it's over for you that's it I mean, that's honestly
0: it. at this point just put him on
1: yeah that's right <laughs> Barry Bonds like, I know you don't
0: want to put the winning run on but like yeah, just put him on it's yeah fine. it's like
1: early aughts Barry Bonds yeah and just uh that levels of aversion
0: uh, all right, Joe, so the, the 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 Big 12 race, as a result of this series, got a shakeup. It was going to get a bit of a shakeup no matter what happened here. If TCU had gone into Lubbock and won, uh, Texas Tech would be underwater in the Big 12 uh, conference play to this point. And TCU would have really gone a long way to kind of establish in itself as maybe this really is the the, the best team in the Big 12. As it stands, however, the race really has tightened you have the top four teams all within two losses of each other. Texas is in first place at 10 and two, but they have yet to play any of the main contenders. They've made hay against the, the bottom half of the conference, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, but we also haven't seen the horns against the top contenders. TCU now 7 and two, Oklahoma State 6 and three. Both TCU and Oklahoma State have already lost a series in Lubbock, and they play this weekend against each other in a, a big series in Fort Worth and then Texas tech five and four. It's not, not obviously the worst record of that group, but they already own series wins against TCU and Oklahoma state were to come down to any sort of tiebreaker situation. And, and again, they just haven't played for the most part, the the bottom half of the conference. Um, so those are your main contenders. Uh, West Virginia is sitting here at five, four and five. I don't think they're going to factor into the title race themselves, but They still have home series against TCU and Texas Tech, and they happen to be in Austin on the final weekend of of the season. If Texas is trying to close out what would be its second Big 12 title in the last three Big 12 seasons, uh, it would would come against the Mountaineers in all likelihood. It'll probably come down to the final weekend of the season. Uh, So West Virginia is going to play a role in this uh, what they're definitely going to have the opportunity to be a spoiler, but I don't think they're going to ultimately be a factor in, in that, that title race. So Joe of those four teams, who do you got?
1: I think it's Texas. Um, so here's what I, what I don't like about Texas and that's you brought it up. That's that they've so far played four teams that I don't think are going to be factors in, the, the, at the top of the Big 12 standings.
0: And not only that, I'm not sure they've played in – none of those teams are likely at-large teams. Um, yeah. you know, Baylor maybe has the best shot at it because they're 21-11, and 11, but I, they might not have played a regional team in Big 12 play yet. Yeah. I, I also like –
1: and I don't mean to discount Oklahoma State in particular but because they do have a road series in Stillwater, but they they get Texas Tech in Austin, and I think that – I think that helps quite a bit. Obviously we've, we've talked about that a lot, just Texas tech being sometimes two different teams uh, away from home versus at home on the field. The other thing I like about Texas is obviously the pitching has been, has been excellent and they've, they've hit on a rotation that is working for them. Uh, They've also got guys in, uh, they found some roles, um, you know, that that have really worked for some guys, whether that's um, you know, you know, frankly, I think one of the big success stories is, is Pete Hanson being as good as he's had when you consider everything he's dealt with and trying to lead up to the season, but they found him a role pitching, you know, uh, a lot of times in, in midweek starts and that's been effective, but whether it's Palmer Winzel and Cole Quintanilla in the the shorter outings, Tanner Witt's a guy who can throw multiple innings in a relief outing. So I think they've done a really good job putting this pitching staff together. That's kind of the given but I also kind of like some of what we're starting to see with the Texas offense. And again, I I want to caveat it with, you know, we we know what they have or more importantly, what they haven't played in the big 12 so far, but these are also big 12 teams. Like these are not mid or low major teams that are completely overmatched. And when you look at teams like Kansas state, for example, they've got pitchers, Uh, you know, Baylor has pitchers. So, the fact that they've seemed to kind of be rounding into form a little bit offensively, I think is, is a really, really good sign. And you can see at the top of the stat sheet, you know, uh, Mitchell Daly has been a difference maker. Ivan Melendez had a huge weekend. This past so weekend.
0: Six straight games.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. So that'll do. Uh, I saw that Texas baseball Twitter has taken, taken to calling him Hispanic Titanic Ivan Melendez. <laughs> um, so, you know, he's obviously, you know, he's, he's not going to hit a home run in every game the rest of the way, or maybe he will, who knows. But um, if he's this kind of difference maker from a power standpoint, that obviously really changes the game for Texas here. Um, You know, Cam, but you look further down, a guy like Cam Williams has been a nice, um, has been a nice power bat for them all season. Uh, He's not, you know, hitting for as much average, but he can run the ball out of the ballpark. And then you know what you're going to get the guy like Eric Kennedy, who's been hitting a little bit better lately. And he's a, a real danger on the base path. Same for Mike Antico. He had a nice weekend last weekend. And, you know, when he's able to get on base, he can make some things happen. You know what you're going to get from Zach Zubia, you know, uh, Doug Hodo is kind of a similar thing with the, the speed element. So, you know, this is, I feel like we're having a different conversation about the Texas offense than we were just three or four weeks ago, where now, I'm not trying to say this is a, the best offense in the Big 12 or even you know, a particularly dangerous one in the grand scheme of things, but it's certainly better than what we were looking at two or three weeks ago where we just did not know where this production was going to come from. Now we'll have to prove it against some of the better teams in the league moving forward, but I, I like what I'm looking at a lot better than what we were looking at not too far in the, in the past.
0: I think that the Horns have to be considered the favorites right now. They have those 10 big 12 wins already. They, like I said, they really made some early hay here and now they're going to go play the, the top contenders in, in the conference. Yes. But I mean, they're not, it's not like they're going to go winless in those series. However, I, so I feel like sometimes I get very prisoner of the moment on Texas tech. Basically I see them at home and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, the one of the best teams in the country and then i see them on the road and i'm like oh yeah that's right they can't win away from home i and i so i i have to try and moderate that because i'm very prone to wild swings on texas tech if they play well this weekend in morgantown i i would feel a lot better about them but the fact that they have that series and at Austin makes it hard for me knowing how they play at home versus on the road. makes it hard for me to believe that Texas Tech is going to get this done sitting at five and four right now. But the fact that they already own wins, series wins against TCU and Oklahoma State, if they can just make the hay that Texas has made against the bottom half of the conference, you know maybe Texas Tech can get this done. And Texas Tech is certainly capable of doing that. To teams in the bottom half of the conference you know what happened at k-state notwithstanding like texas tech can get rolling here uh and i also don't want to get to be too much of a prisoner of the moment on tcu i have never really fully bought in on tcu to the extent that others have around the country but they're seven and two they get the horns at home they get the pokes at home they've already played Texas tech and like, yes, it didn't go amazingly for them, but they did get a win in Lubbock. Uh, You know, they're still very much in the mix. I don't, I, I, none of these teams are out of it. We haven't talked about Oklahoma state here. I I think that they're a good team. I want to see more from them. We just haven't really had that, that big breakthrough weekend for them. Like they've played Vanderbilt and tech tough. Uh, and then they they've done enough against the other teams that they've played this is a huge run for them here starting this weekend at TCU home to Texas and then Bedlam Uh, how they fare in the next three weeks is obviously going to decide their regular season Uh, right now I would not pick them to win the Big 12 I'd probably rank them fourth out of these teams in in the likelihood of winning the Big 12 but if they if they can go on the road this weekend and find a way to get a series win in Lupton, that would definitely change the way that I perceive Oklahoma state. Um, you know, and, and you can't count them out at any time They're They're going until they're dead. Like they're going to give it their all. That's just the way Josh holiday has them playing uh, and has always had them playing. So an intriguing team there, but I I, I would probably go Texas as the favorite here. Somewhere between forty and fifty percent, maybe, and and then probably Texas Tech is, is is second, and TCU not terribly far behind that. Uh, the 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 Red Raiders.
1: I would agree with that characterization, just generally. Uh, you know, it feels like Oklahoma State would probably need some help. You know, they they would need someone like a like a Kansas State winning a series against Texas Tech type situation. They would need that again. One thing they do definitely have going for them is that once they get past this these series against TCU and Texas, where you know, you feel pretty good if you split those six, you feel really good about that. As a matter of fact, then they, they finish up with Oklahoma, Kansas and Baylor. And maybe that's a different Baylor team by the time we get to that point, maybe that is a Baylor team that has played its way into being an at-large candidate, but that's certainly a lot softer than what they've, you know, what they've, they've, dealt with so far or at least will after these next two weeks against tcu and texas so they will have an opportunity to to maybe make up some ground there at the end but it but it does i think to your larger point feel like maybe they of the four they might need some some help elsewhere
0: all right so we're definitely going to watch that race going forward uh Joe, let's uh i guess let's head out to the west coast here for a second oregon played oregon state for the second series this year. This time, it counted towards the Pac-12 standings. Uh, it was in Eugene. They were in Corvallis for a non-conference series early in the year. Oregon sweeps the series. They got outstanding pitching. They found a way to win the the finale uh, on a walk-off error. They come back from being down 4-1 to in late innings there. And you know, if anyone was wondering about the Ducks, I don't think you have to wonder anymore. That's a, that's a really, really good team. It looks like I do think though, we now have to maybe wonder a little bit about the Beavers. They, you start poking it at the teams that they've beaten and you're not going to find a whole lot. Uh, this was a, a big missed opportunity for Oregon state. Now that said, they're in second place in the PAC 12 right now, but they have only played teams in Washington and Oregon to this point. Uh, so what, they're going to now have to go and prove it against teams in the in the southern reaches of, of that conference. But uh, a strong, strong weekend for the Ducks as they uh, they ultimately go five and one against the rival Beavers uh, this year. They the five wins this year matches the the number of wins they had against Oregon State from 2016 to 2020. Uh, Is that cheating a little bit, including 20? Yes. But the five wins this year matches what they've done over the last five years combined.
1: That'll do it. You know, I, I, I I went to the weekend. I told you this offline yesterday when we were talking top 25 that I kind of came into this weekend series kind of getting a feeling that Oregon state was kind of cresting. Oregon state was going to win that, that series, and then you and I would be having the conversation of, you know, is, is understanding that it is a, an improved team, but is maybe the jig up on Oregon a little bit, like is maybe Oregon a team that, you know, uh, got out to a hot start that maybe it is, is destined to fade a little bit. And now of course, Oregon goes out and does that and it shows that, oh, okay, this, this really does look like there is something lasting here. Certainly they put up the, the resume that suggests they will to this point. And part of the reason I said that is because you know, we, for all of the, the talk we had early on about, you know, how well Kenyon Yovan was hitting and Aaron Zavala were hitting, um, you know, it really has become a, a a pitching outfit again. Like this Oregon has, has continued to be a better version of the Oregon that we've seen for, for years now, which is, which is a, a pitching first outfit. And yes, it helps that they're a little more physical on offense. I think that that's the difference is that it's, it's a more physical offense than it has been in years past, where they just struggled so mightily to to push runs across. And, um, but the pitching has needed to be good because the offense, it wasn't an offensive explosion type of weekend for Oregon, but I guess that's kind of, that's kind of my point is that this is the type of series where, you know, maybe in past years, these are, you know, four to one to five to one losses for Oregon and a five to four loss. Oregon but I think this year they're able to just kind of find enough offense they've got enough offensive threats and the pitching was was really really excellent over the weekend but it's been solid all year long and it it, it feels like they've it's a combination of guys that have been good in the past that are maybe having career years Robbie Alstrom Colin Kafka maybe some some newer faces that they've kind of found along the way a little bit of found money situation with with some guys so they've done a good job putting putting that together but um, yeah, if you're Oregon State, like you, you, you're already, I mean, you and I are already kind of starting to, you know, look askance at Oregon State and what they've done so far. Uh, I guess if you want to look at that positively, they're going to have a lot more opportunities over the second half of the season to, to prove themselves because the, the back half of their Pac-12 schedule is more difficult, but certainly this past weekend was, was perhaps not a good sign of, of, of what is to come.
0: We moved one team into the top 25 this week. It was Stanford. They are currently tied with Oregon atop the PAC 12 standings at six and three Stanford this weekend, won a series against UCLA. Joe and I talked as we were determining where to put Stanford that we still don't know much about Stanford, but here they are 19 and six in first place in the PAC 12 Series win against UCLA doesn't mean what we thought it was going to mean, but it also doesn't mean nothing. Uh, And on the week, they went three and one against Pac-12 competition. They played Cal in a midweek in a game that doesn't count towards the Pac-12 standings. They also own a series win against Irvine, which is at worst the second best team in the Big West, it it seems like at this point, you can say. Um, Otherwise, the resume is a little iffy, and I've mentioned many times how the West Coast is basically closed system. It's hard to tell who's actually good because of that. Uh, Stanford is definitely representative of that, but to this point, they look like one of the better teams out there, uh, and uh, they've they've just definitely been a lot more consistent than than some of the the other teams within the conference, and look a whole lot better than they did last year when they were off to just uh, an abysmal start and you know, no one was happy. The 2020 season was canceled and I'm not suggesting Stanford even was uh, the misdevelopment was the misdevelopment. Uh, but also I'm, I'm sure that they're not sorry that they didn't end up looking at 30 plus losses, like on um, in the actual standings, like they were probably going to be.
1: And you know, I wrote about Stanford for three strikes last week and, you know, David Esker told me like, yeah, we we knew last year had a chance to be rough because of the way we'd, we'd set up the, the roster and You know, when they took over that job, they took a step back from recruiting and really kind of took it easy early in recruiting and and decided to focus on, you know, the quality as opposed to quantity. They didn't want to just, you know, bring in guys to bring in guys. And so that that created holes And that. So, you know, the way I wrote it is that the the negative implications of that decision showed up on Stanford's doorstep in 2020. Um, Now it appears in 2021, the positive implications of that decision are bearing fruit because those young guys who were really taken on water last year, they started sometimes seven freshmen in their lineup last year. And a lot of those guys that were taken on water last year are shining now. And so it it seems to have have paid off. And I don't know what it is about the Pac-12 schedule, but it seems like every Pac-12 team we talk about, we talk about like, well, they really haven't played anybody yet. The only one that's played
0: anyone is Arizona.
1: Yeah, like it just—I don't know how that schedule works. Like, it seems like it should be impossible that every team except Arizona we talk about like hasn't proven it against the best teams in the Pac-12. But just weird. But Stanford's another one. Their schedule is a little bit, a little bit backloaded. But I I guess also
0: UCLA has played teams and they've just lost. I guess that's (laughs) true. That's that's the other thing that's happening here is other than beating Arizona, like UCLA has had big opportunities and uh, they've missed on them. That, That is a good
1: point. I will say I have a pretty decent amount of confidence in Stanford. I think the, what, with what they've shown, they're, they're not really doing anything with smoke and mirrors here. The offense is, is good and physical and deep, and it's the guys that you would have expected to see it from. It's a veteran in Tim Tawa. It's, you know, Drew Bowser, their big recruit from this recent class, you know, Brock Jones, one of their big recruits, former football player, you know, was a big recruit in the, in, in the previous class. Um, they're all swinging the bat really well. Um, like I guess there's a level of physicality to this offense that there, there was a little bit, uh, you know, with those those teams are really good in 17, 18, and, and 19, um, but that Stanford has not always been associated with. And the pitching hasn't really been healthy. Their two best pitchers, Jacob Palish and, and Alex Williams, missed significantly wow, significant time. two of their time. Best three. Oh, yes, two of the, Thank you. Yeah, because Brennan Beck, also, you have to, you know, um, allow for him. Sometimes you easy to forget him because, you know, he's just been there kind of, you know metronomic consistency but certainly two of their best three most talented pitchers and, and jacob halish and alex williams have missed significant time this season they're now back and working their way back it's going to take some time for them uh, because of the ramp up but this is i think this is a team that's going to be better if if it's even possible better i think later this month and into may than they have been to this point because i think they'll be a little more well-rounded as it's been so far they've just kind of been making it work on the mound and i think the upside for this pitching staff is a lot better than that.
0: An intriguing team to be sure. We'll, uh, we'll see where they go from here. The PAC 12 race remains confusing right now, not helped by the fact that Oregon and Stanford have only played three series while much of the rest of the conference, at least among the contenders have played four. We'll see how that all shakes out. Like, like we said, that a lot of these teams, you know, Arizona and Oregon have been tested to this point, but some of these other contenders haven't been So we'll see how that rises and falls. Uh, Certainly going to be keeping a close eye on that uh, the rest of the way. Uh, Let's spin it back to the ACC. This is another conference where there was a lot going on. Probably didn't give them enough time. The preview podcast probably aren't going to give them enough time here, Uh, but it is what it is, I guess. So Joe, we had Louisville beating Florida State in another top 25 showdown. uh, That was an important one within that, that division. Those were uh, just a, a pretty well played series all the way around close games for the most part. Uh, you had the Oma Irish beating Georgia Tech. Those were coming into the weekend the two division leaders. Uh, Georgia Tech no longer a division leader. And you had Pitt sweeping Miami again, that's a was a top 20 series. Uh, happened very quietly, I feel like, but Pitt sweeps Miami out of the top 25. I no longer frankly know what to think of the hurricanes. They haven't looked good the last couple of weeks. They're just 10 and 10 in the ACC now. Uh, but Pitt with a big response coming off of a serious loss against Notre Dame and Pitt now just the second team in ACC history to sweep Florida State and Miami in the same season. Uh, and that's about 20 years since uh, since Miami joined the ACC at this point. So only 2006 Clemson had done that prior to the 2021 pit Panthers.
1: It's pretty good company um, and, and a great accomplishment. It, it was a big weekend in the ACC. So setting aside Louisville, and I think it, at this point, you know, uh, Louisville is what they are kind of for good and for bad. I think that there are continuing questions about, you know, some of the bullpen depth, although I like what I saw on Sunday from a group of guys, some of whom, you know, aren't really big names that Louisville has been turning to. So you know, they just continue to kind of mix and match and, and try to figure it out. But I think that is a continuing concern. Um,
0: they're also, it seems like starting to get healthier. Dan McDonald has talked about, you know, these five guys. The pitching staff has been missing. That they're making progress, and I think you're starting to see some of them pop back into into action. So we'll see how that goes for them. But but it seems like Louisville's getting healthier, and that would be a big step for them.
1: Well, yeah. Cause they've just been figuring it out. To the, I mean, they've just been finding ways to this point. And you, you, I think you've seen some of the struggles expressed sometimes in midweek games because they, they haven't played well in those for the most part. So, um, but as long as you, you, win the games in the weekend, that's kind of what's most important there. So they've, they've been able to do that. It was a big weekend though for the teams that I think people are still kind of dubious about, you know, Notre Dame, you know, Pitt, And, and I think to a certain degree, Virginia tech and Virginia tech, you know, no wake one should and, be
0: dubious about any of those teams and yet they are you're right but that no one should be dubious about those teams anymore i agree
1: um you know virginia tech obviously it's, it's a series win against wake on the road but to 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 sweep it in the way that they did um i think is is impressive um to really take care of business on the road like that they are also a team getting healthier and nick bittison made his return and, and for all the success that virginia tech has had they've actually have had some injury problems of their own on the mound um you know they injuries to Anthony Simonelli at some point, Chris Girard at another And uh, now now Bittesen coming back. They're really their most talented just in terms of true talent, probably the most talented position player, you know, he's back healthy. So, but um, Miami is really confounding and and I think I think there's there's a perception about Georgia Tech being really inconsistent and being kind of maddening in that way. And I think that is true to a certain degree, but I think what sometimes what it seems like Georgia Tech is, Miami actually is where they have just they might be the most inconsistent team in America and some of that is youth it's really easy to forget just how young they are and so maybe that's part of it um, but I think we're at a point now where part of the reason why maybe we aren't talking about the ACC quite as much is um, one is that we've been have we've had ACC games for since week two now so it kind of feels like there's only so much we can, we can say at this point. And I think the other part is now we, we are getting kind of a clearer picture of who the best teams are, who the teams that are, that are probably gonna pull up the rear and the standings are, and then where the cleavages are between the teams that are good, are great and good, and then gonna be fighting on the bubble and then below that. Um, things actually, for all the talk we've had about the ACC being wild and crazy, and it is, I think we are now getting a little bit of a clearer picture on what's what out in that conference.
0: I think that is absolutely a part of this, that the, we have found some definition in the ACC and I no longer am being as surprised on, on a week to week basis. And even when you see something like, Oh, well, Pitt swept Miami, how crazy is that? But like, oh, Pitt was the higher ranked team and they were at home. So like, okay. Like Miami probably shouldn't have gotten swept, but like, hard to be surprised there. Like, Oh, you Virginia tech swept wake. Like, Big stunner, like I, you know, Virginia Tech's a really good team. I don't know what people were waiting for. They're sitting here at fourteen and seven in the in the ACC now, and I mean, it's it's pretty darn good. The here's a weird thing that's happening with the ACC that I think is uh, like people are having a hard time grappling with. the The RPIs are not good, and part of that is that they are very insular still, and they're just beating up on each other and and. As a result, you're just looking at a lot of teams not having particularly good RPIs, and the ones that do are the ones that played all the road games so far, like Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame, who've played a lot of road games, have the three best RPIs in the conference. And, you know, some of this is eventually going to work itself out, I think. But I also think that the ACC is just going to be RPI-depressed this year because they you know, we talk about this a ton in the big 10 and the big 10 gets a ton of stink for only playing conference games and fine, whatever. They made that decision. The ACC by limiting non-conference games to the extent that they did, they are only allowed to play 14. That's really hurting their RPIs right now too, because um, you know, a lot of these teams just haven't played many non-conference games. Notre Dame has played one non-conference game. They're supposed to play a few more opening weekend. COVID happened. They've played one non-conference game. Georgia tech has a very unsightly 15 and 12 record in part because they've only played six non-conference games and they haven't done as well in them as you would like to see. But I mean, you can't forget that this Georgia tech team has a series win against Louisville. And it's not like that's the only good thing on their resume. Like they have really good things on their resume the record is unsightly, like there's no way around that. And I don't know what this is all going to mean uh, when it comes time for the committee to meet. I don't know if Louisville by then will have fixed its RPI situation. Uh, but right now it's 61. And I'm sitting here telling you that, you know, Louisville's is uh, going to be a top eight seed, no problem. Like, I, I mean, these, those two, something has to resolve there for that to, to be true. And maybe it's just the committee using its eyes and, and its brain and not just looking at RPI. Uh, I know that's asking a lot of them, but it, it, I think it's going to work itself out. But, but I do think that that is a weird thing that's happening in the ACC right now. And it's because they wind up being very insular. Uh, so two teams, though, in the ACC that we did not talk about just now that are reasonably hot, that are pushing their way back into the the picture just of ACC relevance and thereby national relevance in terms of potential regional teams, NC state and Virginia, Virginia gets a uh, a series win at Clemson, which had previously, you know, been pretty hot. Uh, that, that, that's a nice series win for the who's they've won back-to-back series. Now they're above 500 again. And NC state goes up and sweeps BC and BC has clearly hit on some very hard times here. Uh, but now NC state eight and 10, 14 and 11 overall, like are either of these teams lively enough for you yet?
1: I think both to different degrees.
0: I mean, first of all, it's the most NC state thing
1: ever. I think to like get off the mat and make this move. Like we, we joke you and I, and I think, just largely, I think people like in the office, people don't even cover college baseball, just kind of understand that, you know, NC state in most years, they're probably not, you know, quite as obviously quite as good this year, but typically you can rank NC state somewhere between like 15 and 22. And you're probably going to be right. And maybe this year, if they hadn't had so much um, adversity on the pitching staff, like maybe that still would have, would have been the case, but, you know, I think they're both kind of interesting teams. I, I, you know, don't care for the fact that NC State has to go on the road to Notre Dame this weekend. Like that seems like a troublesome.
0: Well, and UVA spot has willful at home,
1: right? So, like, if we really want to have this conversation, like, I think we could have the conversation a little more next week if we're talking about one of these two teams having won that series. Because I think that's when we really have to start uh, zeroing in on uh, on whichever team is able to do that. If one of them is able to, that being a little bit of a, a turning point. I mean, you look at the schedules, and it's like. Six of one, half dozen of another. Like, there are reasons to be optimistic about the schedules. You know, NC State gets Virginia Tech at home.
0: I, mean, I think there's more and, optimism on UVA. We talked a little I agree. bit about that yeah, last I agree. week, they, but they uh, end the
1: season in a lot better place. Yeah. So, like, but I'm just saying that to say, like, I think that's kind of just typical in the ACC this season where yes. all these yes. teams are good enough to get you. There are a few places you feel a little bit better. So it's hard to know exactly what to make of projecting out what the schedules
0: mean. Yeah, I, I I think that's uh, that's definitely right, and um, you know we'll we'll see where they go. Um, interesting weekend overall in the conference. I mean, I, I think though at this point that we're it's it's pretty clear that the Oma Irish and Louisville and Virginia Tech are the best teams in the league. Florida State is better than its eleven and ten mark in ACC play, uh, and I think that'll show. As, as the next month continues, they've played some really tough teams to this point. And Pitt is clearly not going anywhere, um, but not to the level that those other teams are. Georgia Tech, a little more confusing. But if you look at the total, they're definitely trending in the way right now. But if you look at the totality of it, it's a good, solid resume. And I think we still believe in the talent enough that they'll get some things worked out. But are they going to host this year? maybe not anymore like that. They're going to really have to get things back, turned back around again for that to happen. But I, I think we can make some clearer assessments about which teams in this conference really are the best teams. Okay, Joe, last thing I want to touch on here is Michigan winning a series against Ohio state, something they hadn't done a whole lot of over the last decade. Uh, but they, they get it done despite losing on Friday. They got a nice response on Saturday and then in some very abysmal weather in Ann Arbor on Sunday, they, uh, they, they get the better of Ohio State again. And this was kind of the weekend we'd been waiting for from Michigan. But, you know, honestly, come out of this and I still wonder, like, why is this the way Michigan is winning? Maybe that's me being unfair Uh, Maybe that's me just wishing Stephen like was pitching just slightly better and that they were really dominating teams uh, in series openers in a way that they haven't been. Uh, But this was the, the big weekend that we had been kind of waiting for from Michigan for the last month.
1: Yeah, certainly it's at a bare minimum. It's just a nice data point for Michigan to have that here's a series win against a team that we're confident is good that has a certain, you know, baseline of talent that we're confident in. And that's just something that we didn't really necessarily have with Michigan to that point. And so it it also helps that, by the way, they're not playing a fourth game today, Monday, which, you know, lately they'd been doing and then losing, which is like just a strange way to end weekends because you kind of, um, I don't know, it just kind of leaves a weird taste in your mouth, especially in the case of this past weekend where they lose a, 17 to seven game or something like that against Maryland. It's not a great way to, to end the weekend series. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I I am left in the same place where this is the best series. This is the best I I felt about Michigan in terms of a series win. I I especially like that. They really were able to kind of, you know, boat race Ohio state over the last couple of days, including in that, that ugly Sunday game. But, you know, I'm just at the top of the big 10, like I'm just very, I'm just very mad about, the, the top of the big 10. I think it's a, a season where in, in some ways, I think it's um, a, a season in some ways where I think that might be a little bit of a positive that the postseason is selection situation is going to be maybe a little bit different this year, because I don't know if you were just, certainly their resumes are going to be different because they're conference only. But if you start to stack up resumes, like I don't know that it's going to suggest that you should have, even three big 10 teams in the field, but they're probably going to get that many, uh, based on the quality of the league and, and history and, and things like that. And so maybe it plays into their hand a little bit because certainly they the league is not trending at the top to have three, four, or certainly not five deserving resumes there to the extent that we can even tell at this point in time.
0: Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's tricky. Um, We'll never know what teams would have done in non-conference play and not done, but there doesn't seem to be a ton of consistency. I would say right now from a lot of these teams. Uh, one note here on Nebraska, which is still a half game ahead of uh, the Wolverines in first place in the Big Ten. They were very close to the top twenty-five. You're really splitting hairs when you start to evaluate Michigan and Nebraska, but Michigan has they they, they both Michigan and Nebraska have played Ohio State and Iowa. Michigan happens to have played those teams. Uh, one extra game piece, maybe? Or no, I, I think they played Ohio State one more time, and therefore they have one more win against Ohio State. And Nebraska played Iowa one more time, but they have one more loss against Iowa than Michigan. And basically that's uh, – That's why Michigan's in and Nebraska's not in right now. I mean, it's uh the margins are very thin there. People have asked me recently, as as folks in the Big Ten country have you know gone a little more into the baseball season. Like, so is there a gap this year or not? And right now I gotta say no. I, I don't think there's much of a gap. I the the talent at Michigan. Uh, the premium, premium talent might be a little higher, but I, I think that Nebraska maybe has a little more depth in certain areas, and uh, it, it's going to wind up being an interesting race there. I, I I think Nebraska, I mean, if we rank 30 teams, Nebraska would be ranked. Um, if we rank even 27 or 28 teams, Nebraska's probably ranked. They were they were close, uh, and and I expect if this continues that the Huskers will break into the top 25. okay that was uh that was a lot there joe we uh we covered covered a lot around the country it was like i said a very busy a very fun week eight uh week nine shaping up to be awesome as well uh we have the best rivalry in the country with mississippi and mississippi state playing each other this weekend we have vanderbilt and tennessee like we talked about southern miss goes to uh goes to to Louisiana Tech to return that series, which was a lot of fun when we saw that three weeks ago, and Oklahoma State and TCU, so going to be another, another great weekend of college baseball, and we will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast on Thursday to preview all of that action for you, so make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us there and hit that subscribe button, and it'll it'll go right into your phone there on, on Thursday when when the new episode comes out. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA, and there is plenty more to read over at BaseballAmerica.com, and there will be more coming throughout the week. So uh, check out all of the uh, all of the college baseball content over on the website as well want to thank Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. And we want to thank you all for listening to this week's or this episode. We'll have another one later in the week. Uh, not just a weekly show here during the season. We come at you two times a week. So for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.